developmental optometrist, award-winning author, and international speaker, Dr. Lynn Hellerstein holds powerful and inspiring conversations with her guests on Vision Beyond Sight in areas of healthcare, wellness, education, sports, and psychology. They share their inspirational stories of healing and life transformation through their vision expansion. Billions of people have vision problems, and vision is more than 2020. Vision Beyond Sight will help you see with clarity and gain courage and confidence. Your vision does not define you. You define your vision. With Dr. Lin's new way to look at your life through a new lens, you will be ready to meet yourself and receive visualizations for miracles to come. Welcome to Vision Beyond Sight. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Lynn, and welcome to Vision Beyond Sight. Today, visiting with us is Sarah Metch. Sarah is truly an amazing person, and you'll quickly see her power, but more about her resilience in her life. Today, we're going to talk to her about resilience and how to persevere in the face of devastation. Let me tell you just a little bit about Sarah's adventurous life here. She's a strong and resilient disability rights advocate and uh, advocate and activist for Colorado and the country. She's passionate about working with individuals of all abilities and their families, creating inclusion as well as supporting civil rights, racial equality, and uh, justice for all. Why is she so passionate? Well, again, it often starts with your own personal experience. Sarah grew up with a disability, and she lived and experienced the painful truths and injustices about how individuals with disabilities and their families are treated. And this really sparked her determination to seek long change for her community. With a life expectancy of 13, Sarah's tenacity and strong work ethic developed out of a long, painful medical procedures and many, many hospital stays. She was diagnosed with spina bifida at age two and a half, and she's endured, and you won't believe this, but she's endured over 70, 70 operations and life-saving procedures, including involved spinal and orthopedic surgeries, amputation of left leg, experimental procedures and treatments, toxic shock and death. She began her career at the young age of 12 by starting to volunteer at Children's Hospital. She developed great skills as a public speaker uh, and has actually given testimony at the state capitol for system change and disability-related legislation. She's been asked to work the Department of Education, uh, supporting kids and their parents um, with cross-disabilities. And recently, her activism um, goes to Medicaid and Affordable Care Act, where many of the uh, benefits that people with disabilities were threatened by the last administration. Now, at the height of her work success, Sarah endured a severe spinal cord injury combined with catastrophic loss, changing the trajectory of her life forever. So here we have Sarah with such a great attitude and motivation, sharing her story to encourage others to find their own resilience and light, especially during these turbulent times. So, Sarah, welcome to Vision Beyond Sight. 
Oh, good morning, Dr. Lynn. Thank you so much for having me. This is quite an honor to be with you today. Well, it's truly a pleasure uh, having you. Uh, you and I have talked a little bit. Uh, I was so inspired by your interview uh, from the Lotus Network that I got right on the phone and had to meet you and, and know that you have so much to offer uh, our audience today. So let's kind of catch up. Give us a brief overview of you know what the last several years have been for you here. Thank you so much for asking. I think that sharing what's happened in my life over the last eight years might also um, be uh, an entry point to so many of your listeners who have also had possibly some challenging times. And so I invite everyone that's listening to think of your own life as I'm talking through the timeline of my life to see if there are any similarities, because I think we've all been living through a very challenging and catastrophic loss period of time in history. And so I think it's smart of us to talk more about it and come together. So my story of the last eight years begins with, I was the healthiest, happiest I had been of my adult life. I was eating a very healthy diet. I was working out in the gym several days a week. I had wonderful self-practices in place. And I think it really reflected and people could see that from me. I decided to take a, a leap of faith and gather my courage. I had been working for the state of Colorado for about 10 years, overseeing conferences for parents of children with disabilities to educate on rights and resources around special education. And I decided to take this position working in the autism community here in Colorado. And so it was my job to oversee programs and policies to support and um, care for anyone on the autism spectrum. This was a fantastic job for me because it really allowed me to share my creativity and I was able to have the freedom to partner with so many people around the state to provide wonderful um, classes and support networks and resources for the community. Only a month in to this new position, I met somebody and developed a, a romantic relationship that moved pretty quickly. I was working the hardest I ever had, 12 to 14 hours a day, seven days a week. And I had very little understanding that the organization that I had come into was left in shambles and that it was part of my job to rebuild this nonprofit organization. I was all over the state talking to people, collaborating, and coming up with these wonderful ideas. So I was feeling good and nurtured in that way. But by the time winter came around, I was unexpectedly pregnant. This shocked me. And I didn't speak to anyone about it because I felt a great amount of shame surrounding it. 
And it was only a week or two later that I miscarried and lost that baby. But I never spoke about it to anyone, including my incredible parents. And this was the first of many losses to come. This new pattern of living was so challenging for me. Um, My partner and I both have physical disabilities. And uh, because he came into my life without a great amount of help and care, I became the caregiver as well as the girlfriend. And I didn't realize how much energy and time that was taking from me alongside this very involved job. So by 2015, I woke up in the greatest pain of my life. I could barely breathe and I could barely move. And this is the point where the article from the Lotus Network picks up my story. So maybe we can share the link to that in um, in the profile. Yeah, it's actually already in your show notes, so our listeners can just click on them and get a direct link and uh, take a look at that. Love it. So during this emergency hospitalization, I found out I had a severe spinal cord injury and that the only fix would be a spinal fusion. And I knew that that surgery would probably kill me. So I checked myself out of the hospital and went back home and laid in bed trying to figure out what to do. And it was only four days later that my dad gave me a call and told me that my mom was very confused and that she couldn't even remember her own name. And so I encouraged him to take her to the hospital to get a picture of her head. And sure enough, she was diagnosed with a brain tumor. She was admitted to the hospital, had the surgery to remove the tumor, and four weeks later, she unexpectedly died of a brain bleed in the hospital. My father and I were in immense shock and grief, and we were just trying to figure out what we needed to do moment by moment, day by day. I was watching over my father. I was watching over my ex-partner. Um, and my dad had never lived without my mother, and he was falling into a massive depression. I have no siblings, and uh, all of my extended family lives out of state, so that was hard. I was managing two different households from bed, and in between tending to the end-of-life responsibilities for my mother, my father would take me to nine different medical professionals for opinions on my back. But all of the doctors guaranteed me they would paralyze me from the waist down if they performed surgery. So I chose not to have medical intervention. And I've had these spinal injections to help numb out the pain alongside slow rehabilitation. After six months of waiting for state paperwork, I gained access to in-home care attendants to help me with basic needs. And to find these people, I would have to place ads out on Craigslist and other online sites just to find people. And this became a very vulnerable situation for me. Um, In the last eight years of my life, I have really dealt with a revolving door of people in and out of my life for help from friends, 
to strangers and some truly unstable people as well. And that also has created great amounts of vulnerability. And I see myself kind of as this people's person where my life is dependent on so many different people that I think I am made up of all of their help and advice. So soon after I was fit for a power wheelchair for mobility, this was the first taste of freedom beyond my bed that I had had in uh, years, really. And learning a life from a giant metal power wheelchair that I drive with a power joystick took some real getting used to. It was also another loss for my mobility. I was dependent on wheelchair-accessible transportation to and from appointments and meetings around town, and I was dependent on strangers to drive me around with erratic driving. And so this hurt my back and gave more injury to it. Only four months later, I began to grow pretty sad and lonely and anxious. And from bed, all I could feel was pain sinking in. And so I reached out to see if I could be helpful within my community. And I'm not exactly sure why I said yes to this. But I did produce a summit for 500 participants, 70 vendors, and a whole lot of commotion to educate the autism community. But this, too, further hurt my back. I had to seek legal counsel to figure out what to do about our family home. And it was a devastating answer to hear that I would need to clean out the family home and sell it because my father's health was unstable. We moved him to an apartment closer to me where I could keep an eye on him and he could keep an eye on me. And almost every day I was driven to the family home to oversee and direct friends who helped me to pack up the family home so we could sell it. This whole time, my mental health, physical health, emotional health declined greatly. I was so shaken up and anxious. I could only eat a diet of watermelon, milky coffee, and when I had to take medication, I would eat a piece of toast or a croissant. It was not a good and stable life. By the time 2017 rolled around, the last administration threatened Medicaid, which is responsible for my care attendance and my health care. So I saw it necessary to join up with activists in town, and we staged a 30-hour sit-in at a senator's office to try to sway him from this colossal bill that would put cuts to Medicaid, possibly losing all of my benefits and placing me into a nursing home. All of this volunteer work that I did was extremely tiring and placed more pressure and hurt on my back. But I was confused. 
I had deep confusion around my thinking, and I had been really derailed from my path. During this time, I finally found a therapist who was able to work with me and help me to see that the relationship that I had been in, the romantic relationship, as well as the relationship with some of the organizations I was volunteering for were not healthy and more toxic and that my thinking had really become very confused. The worst part was I lost sense of the healthy version and the healthy light that is myself. I was missing all of the red flags and eight and a half months later, My father died, too. I had to help clean out his apartment, and awkwardly, I had to ask for help from professionals to manage the house, the finances, and all of the details of our family's life. I produced another celebration of life for my father, and then I needed to find a new home to live. I had to wait over a year for legal documentation to be in order, and when it finally came together, I found a place to live the very same week that COVID was announced for our country. I watched as our whole world sunk into an isolation, and I deeply empathized because I, too, had been in isolation for five years. This whole time, I was searching for more care attendants, hiring people, firing people, managing a team of anywhere between two to seven folks in and out of my house at any time for help. I had very few days where I was actually resting and recouping. I had massive waves of grief and sadness that were interrupting my days, as well as my interactions with others. I was still trying to live my old life when really my body was worn out. I was mentally worn out, physically worn out, and emotionally worn out. And I was not able to see the opportunity to level up in my life. I thought I would die soon after. And on some days, truth be told, I was ready to die. Living with a disability, I literally live moment to moment, and sometimes one breath at a time. It's a much more mindful way of existing. And it's been just awful living through this much loss and grief in such a short amount of time. And typically, I don't share how things are so hard with others because I find so many folks don't know how to respond with true empathy. Rather, they like to compare their own hardships instead of just listening and hearing what I have to say. So that is a brief timeline of what's happened in the last year, eight years. And I am finally at a place where things are more stable, where I am able to see a future for myself, and where I'm able to love myself again. 
but I will say it was quite a roller coaster to get to this point. Well, Sarah, uh, first of all, thank you for sharing yourself so vulnerably and openly. And I, and I'm sure our audience send love and hugs to you for what happened in your life and what you've been through. Um, And especially with the pandemic, I mean, everybody's got pandemic stories and we know those folks with disabilities through the pandemic uh, really suffered educationally, transportation, physically, emotionally. Um, It was a very, very tough time. And then you added all these other family situations and medical situations as well. What I really look forward to is uh, we're going to take a break in just a minute here, but really seeing, you know, what drives you and how you've survived such adversity and and yet your passion is still so much in helping others and um, and making a difference in the world. And so uh, when we get back from break, those are the kinds of questions I'm going to have for you as to um, truly there has got to be some resilience factor that is stronger than any of us can believe um, that kept you not only alive, um, but in this place of really making difference for others. So we'll take a break here for just a minute and we'll be back uh, right after the break. Dr. Lynn will be right back after this. Discover the power of the seeing brain, the creator of your true vision. Dr. Lynn Hellerstein's number one bestseller book, Expand Your Vision, helps you see with clarity and gain courage and confidence. Remove roadblocks and visualize your new lens to see and experience your world. Get Expand Your Vision on Amazon or visit lynnhellerstein.com. Developmental optometrist, award-winning author, and international speaker, Dr. Lynn Hellerstein holds powerful and inspiring conversations with her guests on Vision Beyond Sight in areas of healthcare, wellness, education, sports, and psychology. They share their inspirational stories of healing and life transformation through their vision expansion. Vision Beyond Sight will help you find clarity in your functional vision and expand the power of your seeing brain to gain courage, confidence, and success in your life. Join Dr. Lynn each week for a new exciting episode, Vision Beyond Sight. Can your child organize, really organize? Parents and teachers will have practical, step-by-step strategies and templates to help get their children organized with Dr. Lynn Hellerstein's 
Organize It Workbook. Increased organizational skills create success and confidence in school, sports, and life. Get Organize It on Amazon or visit lynnhellerstein.com. Welcome back to Vision Beyond Sight. Here's Dr. Lynn. Hi, everyone. It's Dr. Lynn, and welcome back. Today, we have Sarah Metch, and Sarah is a very strong, resilient disability rights advocate and activist. And thank you, Sarah, for sharing such a a compelling um, and very traumatic life history. And you just spoke about really the last eight years um, of great loss of family, loss of physical um, independence and and uh, emotional uh, roller coasters. So thank you for sharing. Now, the big question I have for you with such difficult times for you, you know, how have you survived um, this lifetime of trauma? And, you know, how does it feel to outlive such adversity? Shocking. <laughs> well said, well said. It feels shocking. <laughs> oh, but first I want to share that I'm in a really good place today. I am the healthiest that I've been in the last eight or nine years. And so with that, I want to just share that uh, here are some of the key puzzle pieces that fit together for my life around resilience. I always really try to practice optimism. For me, knowing that whatever situation that I'm in, especially if it's challenging, to have optimism and to know that it's not permanent, that whatever is happening is going to change. And so as long as my brain can remember that there is going to be a change at some point and that if I can navigate it with optimism and truth, that things will usually work out. I live in the present moment. Now, I know there are a lot of people in this world that practice so hard via meditation or uh, whatever your personal fuel is that gets you into into the present moment. That is the space that I try to live in at all times. Now, I know the brain is very tricky, and it's easy to live in the past, and it also can be nerve-wracking to think about the future sometimes. But I do know that for me, in each moment, if I can just be present with myself, I can slow down my thinking and remember that life is really one moment at a time, stitched together to the next moment. So in a that, way, that's a huge myself. step of, you know, presence and both the living in the present as well as knowing that things change all the time. As wonderful that as it could be, it changes. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And I think especially in the world we're living in today that's very set up and um 
it can be very easy to get lost in what to do next and uh, especially online, you know, seeing one image after the next, after the next, and giving space to take everything in as it comes, that having a practice of presence is so important. Right. I've also learned that, of course, having a strong support system can be the the winning um it can be the winning ingredient for whether or not I stay in a positive state of mind rather than an unpositive and unstable state of mind. And so I've learned, especially through boundary work, that it's important for me to surround myself with people who understand what's going on in my life and can hold space for me whenever I need. So I know for a lot of humans, it can be very hard, especially in times of loss and trauma and grief, to also have the energy to find people. So I always like to share with folks that when they're having a good moment in their life, when things feel easy, when things are moving, at a meaningful pace, that that is a very good time to find out who your support network can be. Trying to find out a support network in times of challenge can also be extremely overwhelming. Well, certainly these days, um, I know just from having an office, trying to hire staff has been very challenging and we've had to go without staff a lot of times because nobody's available. So, so break it down a little bit for us. What is your support system like? I mean, how many people do you have? Do you need, you know, what do they do? Give us a little more specifics on your support system. That's a wonderful question for me. So I have many layers of support. My very first, soldier in line for support is myself. So keeping myself in a healthy state of mind, and I spoke a bit about that before, having healthy food, having healthy practices. Um, Some of my healthy practices are going to nature, feeling the sunshine. Um, So getting myself in order first. Then I do have caregivers that come in and out of my home. And that I am the one that trains them up on what I need done from personal care to uh, housekeeping needs to helping me to cook healthful food. And then outside of the caregivers, I have some very close friends who I would consider our family for me. And those are the people that I can message or pick up the phone and have a phone call and an honest conversation. Beyond that, I have networks of, of course, disability-specific resources and supports that I check in with to manage all of the care for my life. So that would be uh, the system that provides the funding for the caregivers, 
the system that provides the funding for my health care. Um, and then beyond that goes the medical and professionals that help to oversee my physical body, my emotional body, and my spiritual body. And I would say that's a, also a very important point in my life that I learned early on as a five or six year old. I know that I have this light about me. And I'm sure other people would have different words to describe what their light is, but I know that it is just my light essence here in this world. And keeping that nurtured and keeping that flame doped and alive has been really, I think, the start of where resilience came from for me. Back in 1986, when I went in for my very first spinal operation, it was a 14-hour-long operation. The goal was to get through the surgery. The goal was to rehab back from that surgery and go back to school with my friends. So again, you know, my life has been built up of so many experiences, many of which have taken place in the medical field or in the hospital setting. And to stay alive during times of adversity like that, it's either sink or swim. And so I think as a child, I learned early on how to just stay alive and keep my flame burning bright. Well, you know, your support system management could be, a, I'm sure, is a full-time job with all of the puzzle pieces that you're having to put together. But what's so beautiful is this light that you talk about, despite the adversity, the emotional, the physical, the spiritual, all of these challenging areas, your light still shines brightly. And I know that's what came out of that first interview I read. That's what came out of our phone call that we had together. And that's what's coming out now. That light, you know, where does it come from? And is that what gets you so involved in your ad advocacy work to shine your light on others? Oh, I love that you asked me this. Oh, you know, for I have had this light inside of me for so long that you would think it would be an easy answer for me to tell you, but I'm not so sure I know. I was born to two incredibly loving parents. My mother, if you could think of the best hippie earth-loving mama who would care for thousands of elementary school students, who would provide the largest special education programs at her school for inclusion so that every student that wanted to attend school could and that they mattered was a big deal. And so I was born into this incredible life with this woman who included every single human. And so I think first, I draw from that energy of my mom. And for people that knew my mom, they are always sure to tell me that some of the best parts of me are made up for my mom. 
And also my father was this incredibly loving dad for me. He taught me really to speak up and advocate for myself. He, you know, he worked for the Department of Local Affairs for the state of Colorado. And often I would go to work with him. And during lunches, we would walk over to the state capitol and he would show me how people would testify for legislation to make change. And I saw that as an opening for me in my life because I had already lived through so many upsetting situations in the disability community as well as in the hospital. And so I saw that through using my voice, using my light and my experience that possibly through testimony, I could help create change at a larger level for others. But that change really does come slowly, you know. As a child, I think I always had to just explain my situation. So wherever I would be, whether it would be at school, whether it would be at a street festival, whether it would be, um, you know, larger activities out in the world, people would always ask questions of me. And I think I was always put on the spot and happy to share my life story. So I would say coming back to your question, this starts with my parents. I know how fortunate I am to have been born to such wonderful human beings. And I also know that through a lot of life and just living, um, that rejection is redirection for me. And it seems that whenever there is a human or an organization or an entity that is in need of better understanding of what it's like to live with a disability, what it's like to live through the system, that they can call upon me and that I'm able to easily fit in wherever they need until I fulfill that need. And then it becomes my goal to leave and move on to the next. So my life has never really been that traditional path of growing up and getting through college and getting the job and finding the partner and having children. My life has been more about getting myself to a healthy enough point where I can go and help other people, usually for a short amount of time. And then when that time is over, I come back, I rehab myself to the next version of myself. And then I'm able to go do it again. Wow. I wanted to go back to something you said about rejection. Did you say rejection is redirection? I did. Rejection is redirection. But it hurts, Dr. Lynn. Of course. (laughs) It is painful. And there's so much misunderstanding about uh, those with disabilities, whether they're visible or not visible, um, people are people are uncomfortable with it. It's not like they're necessarily 
just negative and against. They're so uncomfortable. They don't know. They want to learn. They don't know how to ask. And it puts you, I remember when I was in optometry school and if I was working with a patient who had a stroke, our instructors always said, you don't have to yell at them. They didn't lose their hearing. You know, people don't understand just how to communicate and and ask questions. And, And you really put yourself out there to help people learn so that you can advocate for others, which which is just truly inspirational, Sarah. You know, we only have a couple minutes left and I wanted to know, is there anything else you'd really like to share with us before we wrap it up? Oh, thank you for this opportunity. I I want to share with your listeners that I hope this message rings true to your heart today. That during hard times, remember that things will change. With patience, you just need to give it a little bit of time. To be gentle with yourself, to give yourself grace. And to remember to care for your inner light. And sometimes I reckon not to like your inner child. If you were a baby or when you were being cared for as a baby, people are gentle. People are kind. People are very mindful with their, with their moves and what they say to a baby. And so if your heart is in a space where it has been cracked open and even hurt and pained, to give yourself that love and to take the time whenever you need to, to nurture yourself and love yourself, that that is the heart of living. The rest is just extra. And if you're living in that space of extra, you might be doing pretty well. And also, if you're living in the space of your soul essence, of your inner light essence, that's what will propel you into your next. That's what will help you to level up in this world and heal. Which is just beautiful. And I thank you for that. And and just want to also add, and this is challenging for me and I'm sure for others, that it's okay to ask for help, which so many people... Uh, are afraid and don't do that. Um, so Sarah, I want to make sure listeners are able to um, contact you. All of that information is going to be on our show notes, but um, you're present on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, your Facebook is Sarah Mitch, and that's same for your Twitter. And I'd love for you to contact Sarah, if you have questions, she's available for, for speaking to groups, um, kids and adults, kids are usually fascinated and they want to ask questions. Adults are more reserved, but, uh, Sarah, all I can say is thank you. Thank you for sharing your wisdom, your story. I'm so inspired and, uh, there is light everywhere inside and out after hearing you that, there is light. There's no reason to dim our lights. If we, if we do for whatever reason, we just need to go back and reignite. And I love this when, when there's rejection, it's time for redirection. So Sarah, yes. So thank you. I'm so happy. This is 
a good time, that you're well. I thank you for everything and truly let your light continue to shine so brightly. Thank you, Dr. Lynn. Thank you for this opportunity and let your light, let your light shine brightly too. Thank you so I will. much. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye for now. Thank you for joining us today on Vision Beyond Sight. Join Dr. Lynn Hellerstein each week to help you find clarity in your functional vision and expand the power of your seeing brain to gain courage, confidence, and success in your life. Remember, your vision does not define you. You define your vision. For more information and find additional podcasts, visit lynnhellerstein.com. See you next time on Vision Beyond Sight.